Today on the show, my top five storylines from Seahawks' mandatory minicamp, including one major question that still remains, and I think it's the one that's on everyone's mind. We're hanging on the answer still. Plus, a little bonus footage at the end. If you stick around, I'll give you my thoughts on an NFL viral video that's making the rounds. Do we need to be worried about the Arizona Cardinals? They may finally be in good hands. Seahawks Forever is next. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Hit that like button if you enjoy what I do. And uh, think about becoming a subscriber. I try to provide Seahawk content that is unique, goes a little deeper than most, and you don't want to miss any episodes. Case in point, Wednesday. Seahawks beat writer Bob Condota of the Seattle Times will be joining me to share some of his in-person observations from minicamp and give us his thoughts on the roster as a whole, as we are now just a little over a month away from the start of training camp. Those official dates should be released soon. Um, before I get to my top five storylines from minicamp, uh, start off with some newsy stuff. Um, and I know something that's on a lot of your minds today as Seahawks fans. News breaking that we, we knew the Minnesota Vikings were kind of, well, retooling their roster uh, would be an understatement. You know, they traded away Zadarius Smith. They, um, they released Adam Thielen this offseason. They just released Dalvin Cook last week. And we knew that they were attempting to trade outside linebacker Daniel Hunter. Um, this morning, though, news that Hunter does plan to skip the team's mandatory minicamp. In search of a new deal, he has just $5.5 million guaranteed left on this year's uh, portion of his contract, and then his contract voids. Uh, Daniel Hunter, just 28 years old now, the 6'5", 263-pound outside linebacker. Ten and a half sacks last year after a couple of injury-marred seasons. Uh, 71 sacks in his career. Um, very productive player, obviously. And so it's on a lot of Seahawks fans' minds. Anytime a big name becomes available. I even saw in a Seahawks fan group on Facebook, or actually it was uh, one of the blogs, that, you know, Dalvin Cook gets released. Every time a big name is released, we, the fantasy football GM in us kicks in and, and you know, they ask, should we? Um, the idea of signing Dalvin Cook was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but Daniel Hunter, obviously, is a little bit more of an attractive asset. Uh, here's my quick thought on this. No, just not the right time. This, the Seahawks have done so much work, work that we all agree is really focused. And uh, in, in reshaping the roster to be young, uh, to be more dynamic, to be very balanced. You know, we're going to do a show before training camp about how layered the roster is at every position now, really, with young players and some veterans. Um, but the concern still remains about run defense, pass rush, front four, front three, however you want to, front five if you're a Bear front fan, front seven overall. Uh, Hunter is obviously a very productive player. But there are two factors here. Number one, this guy's going to be looking for a top of the, top of the market contract in the range of $20 million. Um. It wasn't that long ago that the Seahawks walked away from Frank Clark and traded him because he wanted that kind of money at uh, at the same position, although not as productive of a player, obviously, as Daniel Hunter. But Uchenna Nwosu 
is on an expiring contract. Um, younger than Danielle Hunter, had an outstanding year last year. We all agree that we want him back. The Seahawks want him back. They've been outspoken about that. And and I think that it's one of the storylines when camp opens next month is the clock's ticking. Are they going to get that extension done before the season starts? If you were to acquire Danielle Hunter for whatever cost it would require to uh, get him in the first place, draft pick compensation uh, or players, um, you're taking on that kind of contract and you're, you're, you would essentially, in my opinion, be choosing Hunter over Nuosu because you can't commit $20 million a year to both of those players at the same position. Not to mention <laughs> the draft uh, capital that has been used at that position over the last few years. Uh, with just this year, Derek Hall and Boye Mafe the year before, and Daryl Taylor um, and Tyreek Smith, who we haven't even gotten a chance to see yet. So it just doesn't make sense. Great player. I also think the Seahawks have, um, I don't know, I might be underplaying it by saying learn their lesson, but, but taking those big swings for big name veteran players to try to make a splash and giving up future draft capital. You know, they went down that road, obviously with Jimmy Graham and Percy Harvin and Jamal Adams, and it hasn't worked out all that great. I think the philosophy of how they're building this roster is different. And so uh, I just wanted to get out, get that out there. I just don't think uh, Daniel Hunter makes sense for the Seahawks right now. Um, that being said, let's, let's hope he doesn't end up at one of the uh, NFC West division rivals where he may come back to us. Um, all right, let's get to the, uh, the storyline of the day or the focus of the day. My top five storylines from everything that I saw, everything that I read, some things kind of under the radar, some more obvious than others. Um, and we're going to start at number five and count down to one. Um, this one got a lot of traction last week, and it has some people, some fans wringing their hands. Uh, with Kobe Bryant out with a toe injury, Devin Witherspoon played a lot of slot. And he had, he had dipped in there a few times early in OTAs. And that was framed at the time of just a way of expanding his repertoire. He played some slot at Illinois, played 109 snaps there last year. Um, he certainly, his build would almost suggest uh, slot, but he's such an elite cover guy that ultimately um, we people want to see him outside. And I think the Seahawks do too. There's been a little bit of low-level panic that I've sensed and, and has been communicated to me about moving him into the slot um, cause he was there basically full time the last couple of practices and that, that somehow that would be a misuse of an asset that a major draft, uh, resource was used to acquire, um, that somehow the slot isn't as valuable a position as the outside. Um, I think in the modern NFL, you can make a case against that. Some of the most dangerous receivers in the league are guys that operate in the middle of the field and the slot. Um, and if you can lock that guy down with an elite slot guy, it certainly gives you an advantage, especially if you have the depth to cover for the outside. And that's what that's the point I'm getting to. First of all, I think the team uh, is committed to Kobe Bryant, believes in him, and he's the starter there with Julian Love, uh, especially if Jamal Adams comes back healthy, um, playing a lot there himself, depending on matchups. I think this is just the team's way of trying to expand the horizons of Witherspoon, trying to prepare him for anything and put the best players on the field at all times. 
And that leads directly to my number four minicamp storyline, which is we've heard a lot of references to the Legion of Boom this, this offseason because of how deep and talented this young secondary, mostly young, looks and is. And Pete Carroll said it himself in his post minicamp press conference, Mike Jackson had the most outstanding camp of anyone. And I would say, we talked about it recently on the show, he's had the most outstanding offseason of anyone. He has really established himself as a guy that is not intending to give up his job just because they drafted a rookie at number five overall there. And of course, Tariq Wolin with that knee injury uh, has been out. And that, and that's that's forced the team to have to move, move some guys around. They brought back Artie Burns. He can play both sides. If Mike Jackson takes the next step and becomes a guy that just you can't keep off the field, then playing Witherspoon some in the slot isn't a bad idea. If you can get your best three corners on the field at all times or most of the time. And look, no matter how good Devin Witherspoon is, rookies struggle. There is a learning curve. He's going to be going up against some of the best quarterbacks, some of the best receivers in the league. And as much as everyone believes he's up to the task, uh, there's going to be some growing pains. Those might be minimized a little bit by moving him inside some. But the reason I bring this up is because uh, I don't want fans to panic. I think long-term, there's no question that Devin Witherspoon is the Seahawks are going to have him outside, right? Look, if Mike Jackson plays and plays well, he's going to command more money when his contract's up. And there's, you know, you got to balance some of that out. And, and, and I think the appeal to the Seahawks of taking Witherspoon at five, in addition to just the fact they love the player and the person, is that you can have cheap rookie deals well, number five is not super cheap, but relative to the market, if you were to go out in free agency and fill that spot uh, with Tariq Woolen and Devin Witherspoon there with Kobe Bryant manning the slot. But this uh, Legion of Boom reference, and, and, and man, I push back on this a lot over the years, and I just wish, I just wish people would stop talking about it for the most part, and especially the national media. They bring it up all the time, and, and what, what pisses me off about that reference is when the national media does it, it's often in reference to the whole defense. When the Legion of Boom moniker was meant to just refer to the secondary, and that's what I want to talk about at number four, is the depth, the youth, and the talent, and the versatility of this group. Especially, and I'm going to assume for the sake of this argument, Jamal Adams comes back. Although you can, you can remove him from this equation because, touched on it last time, you know, when he does come back healthy, if he stays healthy, his role is going to be more of a hybrid outside linebacker anyway. And I think we're going to see Quandre Diggs, Julian Love, and Jamal Adams on the field a lot at the same time. So I think the days of him playing a true full-time safety position are potentially over. But when you look at this group as a whole, when they're all healthy, right? Witherspoon, Wolin, Jackson, Kobe Bryant, Trey Brown who we keep forgetting to talk about, but we heard we heard Pete talk about it last week. We heard Tyler Lockett talk about him last week, about how explosive he looked, that he's finally 100% healthy after coming back from that patella tendon, patella tendon injury uh, that he suffered as a rookie. 
bringing back Artie Burns, who's still just 27 years old, can play both sides. And that's just the corner position. Then you look at the safeties with Love, Diggs, Adams. It reminds me of 2013. Remember that group. <laughs> this is the group in training camp, right? Safeties were pretty locked down. It was Cam and Earl. And you had Jaron Johnson there as a young guy. And Chris Maragos, who had a nice little career, went on to play for the Eagles after that. But these are the corners, right? You had Sherman and Browner, Brandon Browner, Byron Maxwell, Walter Thurman, Deshaun Shedd, Jeremy Lane. And even at the bottom of the roster, didn't make the 53, Parrish Cox, who only went on after that and started 36 games for the 49ers and the Tennessee Titans over the next three years. This group may not be that deep, but, and Seaside Joe brought it up when we talked last week, I am not saying this is the next Legion of Boom or that they are, nothing compares to that group. Personality-wise, size-wise, I mean, when you, man, Brandon Browner and Cam Chancellor in the same secondary, that's, that might never, we might never see something like that again. But talent-wise, absolute talent and depth-wise at the top, um, it's a group worth getting excited about. It really is. Uh, number three, I can't talk about him enough. Just can't talk about him enough. Um, and, and, and I gave some thought to putting him at number one. Because from the day Jackson Smith and Jigba stepped on the field, even when he was being held back and he was limited early in, in OTAs because of that hamstring, it is so clear how different this guy is. That he doesn't look like a rookie. And I've started to refer to him as the natural. His route running we've heard about, he looks like a 10-year grizzled route running veteran but he catches the ball naturally with his hands about as easily as anyone I have ever seen catch the football. His maturity, the way he's adapted. He's, I've met his parents. He's grounded. He's motivated. He's going to work hard to be the best. Uh, I'll do a bold statement show as a whole before the season starts. A bold prediction show. Uh, but I'll give you a little hint right now. I think there's a really good chance that Jackson Smith and Jigba leads the team in receptions as a rookie. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Uh, number two, minicamp storyline, um, which was such a solid um, storyline and was so clear from day one that it, it really hasn't been talked about that much. It hasn't been ignored, but it's just, it's almost, we almost take Geno Smith for granted now. The fact that he's the unquestioned starter and one of the unquestioned leaders of this team from day one of the offseason, you can't discount that as a storyline. And 
everything everyone has said about his performance on the field is that there's nothing to indicate there's going to be regression or that as some of the naysayers who I still can't believe are out there, but they are, would say is the inevitable regression or uh, proof that last year was a fluke in some way. Um, with the upgrades they've made to the offense, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the offense over the next month and what they could be. But uh, Gino looks like a guy who is uh, confident, comfortable in his role and in charge of that offense and the position. And then my number one storyline, uh, those are all really positive storylines, right? My number one storyline of minicamp is that we still just aren't sure about the nose tackle position. We feel good about outside linebacker. We feel good about the other down linemen, the other interior linemen, the three, four defensive ends, right? Feel good about Draymond Jones and some question about Jaron Reed and what he has left in the tank, but you bring Mario Edwards back in and that gives you some veteran depth. Uh, talked about Mike Morris in the last episode and what he might be able to bring as a rookie. Um, but Cameron Young, when Pete Carroll talked about him in the post uh, minicamp press conference, it wasn't the most ringing endorsement. Some people took it when they, when you see it in print, it almost looks like, mm, I'm not sure. Maybe we should be concerned about Cam Young. Uh, when you watch it though, it's just Pete being cautious because the thing we need to keep in mind about Cam Young, and first of all, remember the positives. Remember all the things that said uh, were said about him when he came out in the draft. Uh, the NFL uh, GM who spoke off the record, who said, uh, who told Daniel Jeremiah that this guy was a throwback and an absolute uh, SOB and a stud. And uh, remember the length, the long arms, and the heavy hands. And how Brock Heward talks about he has elite level hands as a weapon. Um, and how experienced this guy is, how many games he played in the SSC against top competition, how young he still is. Remember all the good things. But also remember, because there's a, there's another Seahawks account out there where the guy did a film breakdown. It was very articulately done. I thought it was well done, whether I agree with him or not. But he was very negative about Cam Young. That it was a, basically that it was a wasted draft pick. Um disagree with that but remember he's he's being asked to do things much differently than he did in college to play the same position but in a totally different way in college they moved him around a lot a lot of twists a lot of stunts uh, that won't be happening with the Seahawks he's going to be asked to control a man control a gap sometimes two gaps uh, so Pete just kind of talked about him in to me what sounded like cautious optimism but I still think there is going to be some some effort there on the Seahawks to, to find someone else. There weren't any significant June 1 cap cuts, but there will be there will be cuts in camp. And the Seahawks have a history of picking up veteran interior defensive linemen late before the season started and working them in successfully. Tony McDaniel is a, is a classic case of that. And I think they did it two years in a row. Uh, Al Woods, um, one of the times he was acquired and added to the roster was last second, right before the season started. There are guys like that that will be cut. But there may be a little sleeper candidate as well. Uh, Austin Faolu, 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 Faolu. 
I uh, meant to look up the pr pronunciation of that before I went on and uh, did not. Sorry about that. Uh, let's go Austin Feolu, uh, former Oregon defensive lineman, 6'3", 287 pounds, uh, was an undrafted free agent signed by the Cowboys, uh, got into some games with the Panthers a couple of years ago, played uh, in the XFL last year, was first team all XFL, playing for the Seattle Sea Dragons, 24 tackles and a sack in 10 games. Um, played for the Oregon Ducks. And what brought him to my attention, other than when he was signed, I thought, okay, interesting. He's he's a guy that has some experience. He's played snaps. This is what I love about the spring leagues is guys get reps, right? Um, but two things come to mind. Number one, the team cut Robert Cooper, Florida State defensive or nose tackle, signed as an undrafted free agent who a lot of people thought had a good chance to make the roster. And then last week they released Forrest Merrill, who they had signed, uh, played for the Chargers last. And he was he was a bigger, stout, run-defending nose tackle type that really wasn't represented on the roster. Um, but then there was a, a, a small line. I'm going to ask Bob about this on Wednesday where he was talking about the position, and he said that the Seahawks staff is high on Feolu. Uh, so I want to ask him more about that. He might be a sleeper guy, just a name to tuck away as someone, at least until Brian Monet is ready. And again, remember, uh, Monet suffered not just a, a clean ACL tear, but but potentially more from things that we've heard and read, but also at his size, harder to come back from those. And Pete Carroll didn't sound very optimistic. And if there's one thing that we uh, that frustrates us about Pete sometimes is he can be overly optimistic about injuries and get our hopes up, and then the player doesn't come back nearly on his timeline. Um he didn't sound like Brian Monet was anywhere close to coming back. So those are um, those are my storylines there. Um, I want to go over one more thing, though, too. This is something that I noticed the other day, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of you did. Uh, I first saw it on uh, Dana O'Gorman, my old field goals co-host, put it on her timeline. Um, the Arizona Cardinals. Uh Shook things up this this last offseason, right? They fired their head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. They fired Steve Kime, their GM. And they hired in his place, Monty Austin Fort. Um, worked his way up through mostly the uh, New England Patriots front office. And then he spent uh, 2020 through 2022 as a director of pro personnel for the Tennessee Titans. The Arizona Cardinals had what I consider to be one of one of the sneak, more sneaky good drafts in this year's class. Uh, a foundational draft, not flashy, but they addressed a lot of needs. And I think they had a lot of, a lot of players that I liked when I was researching Seahawk prospects and doing mock drafts for the Seahawks. And I think they may be onto something. And this is why. Uh, the team gave some really, uh, really rare access to somebody to film what was going on. And if you remember um, the Patriots or uh, the Cardinals, I'm, I'm, excuse me, they had the third overall pick. They traded down from three to 12 with Houston, Houston coming up so that they could go Will Anderson and CJ Stroud back to back. In doing so, they got the 33rd pick this year and first and third picks next year from the Texans in addition to their own. So the Arizona Cardinals are going to go into next year's draft with potentially two top five picks, two top 10 at worst. 
And I have a piece of video here and I'm going to show it to you. Uh, if you're watching the video version, if you're listening uh, on the audio version, you still should be able to pick, pick this up really well. Uh, I'm just going to play it for you once and maybe twice. And then I'll explain kind of some of the things that were happening and how it might indicate this guy's ability as a general manager and his preparedness for the job, but also potentially how it might've affected the Seahawks if something had gone differently, sort of an alternate universe. So, um, Let's get this first for the video. Let's share the screen and let's play this. This is Monty Austin for negotiating to move up from 12. Now they moved down to 12. Now he wants to move back up because he wants Paris Johnson, the offensive tackle from the Ohio state Buccaneers. And he's talking to a bunch of teams at the top of the draft. Okay. So we want to, we, we're back at 12. Now we want to come up to seven possibly. Okay. You're either you're either picking or you're gonna you're gonna listen to what I got. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll look at it. Thanks. Okay, so twelve to five, right Vegas up there. So I know just keep these separate. And then and then let's start uh, let's start brewing up below that um, Atlanta. It's gonna be something similar down below. How much time? Seven. Okay. So twelve to six. For a 12 and 34, or six and something, something late. See if he comes back. Hey, bud, how's it looking? You're gonna pick anything I can do? Okay, thanks, bud. See how it's picking. Hey, bud, what's uh, did that? Uh, what we're thinking? Yeah, let me uh, let me put some together here. Okay. Okay, so hey, on this on this Vegas deal now, talk to me about this Vegas deal. Is that an even deal? Hey, so here here's what here's what it looks like. What 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 deal do we like better, the Detroit deal or the Vegas deal? Hey bud, how are you? Uh, uh you guys picking here or what are you what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, I think uh We'd do 34, and then we would need we'd need something back. No, no, we wouldn't do a 24-1. No, why don't you just take a look at what it would be? Okay, okay, thanks. Detroit. Hey. Okay, so so 12. Go ahead. 12, 34, and 168 for 6 and 81. Okay, call it in. Thanks, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So there were Seahawk influences all over that. Um, because at one point he was talking about going up to six. And that was John Schneider. If you didn't pick up on that, that was John Schneider on the phone where he's like, hey, bud. Oh, you're picking? Okay. And John says, yeah, we're going to stay here and pick. And uh, thanks for your patience. So he was looking at Seahawks spot at five, Detroit at six, Vegas at seven. When the Seahawks took Devin Witherspoon, the Detroit Lions decided to back out of six. That's the guy they wanted, first of all, right? That's what's fascinating about this. Um, just as a draft nerd and a Seahawks fan and a geek, right? What could have happened? Because Schneider did say, hey, look, when we were on the clock, we had a couple of trades that we were considering, but Devin was one of the only two players on our board that we were going to stay 
if he was there and we decide to stay. But they still listen, right? But let's just say, because some of you still aren't convinced that corner at five was the right move. At the time, certainly many of you wanted to trade down. So knowing what they got from Detroit at six, right? They end up, um, they trade down or they end up moving up and they get, uh, what did he say on there? Uh, 12 and 34 for six and 168, right? So if the Seahawks had basically offered that same deal, it would have been slightly different, right? But you're, it's only one pick away. They would have ended up moving down to 12 and picking up 34. So a third, second round pick for five, but they would have had to give up one of their two fifths too, because Detroit did. Okay. Detroit gave up 168 also. Um, that would have been disastrous for the Seahawks because when you look at who else was left on the board, Van Ness, Lucas Van Ness at 13, Will McDonald at 15. I think both of the, uh, I think Van Ness would have had mixed reviews at 12. Will McDonald, while he fit the scheme, and I and I think he's a, a guy that the Seahawks might have been eyeing at 20, at 12 might have been considered a reach. And then if you add 34 to the mix, what might that have done, right? Maybe they would have taken Derek Hall at 34 instead of 37 because they had him rated as a first-round pick, and maybe they were worried about someone else taking him. But guys taken around that range, Steve Avila, Joe Tipman, if they wanted to go center there instead of waiting for Oluwatimi, uh, Michael Mayer, Sam Laporta, if they wanted to go tight end, Matt Bergeron, the, the tackle guard, probably protects it guard out of Syracuse. A lot of you still say that Keanu Benton should have been the pick at 37. Would he have been the guy maybe? Uh, interesting. Uh, the alternate reality possibilities of something like this uh, always intrigue me. But also just this, the command that uh, Austin Fort had there of what they wanted to do, what they were willing to do and what they weren't. Did you pick up on that one moment when Detroit asked for a 24 first round pick? And he just said, no. He said, no, we're not going to do a 24-1. Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know? So you're either picking or you're listening to what we have to say. Like, I like this guy. I don't want to like him. I like him. I have major questions about Jonathan Gannon, the guy they, they hired as head coach. But, uh, and we'll talk more at length about their draft class when we do a full NFC West preview before the season starts. Uh, but I like what the Cardinals did in year one. Questions about the quarterback, those can be addressed later. But but if you're rebuilding a roster, man, if you're a Cardinal fan, uh, I'd be pretty excited about the GM and the potential uh, that you might have there. Um a reminder, Wednesday, Bob Condota of the Seattle Times is going to join me, and we're going to talk about minicamp. We're going to talk about the roster heading into camp, some bigger issues, uh, ask him about the, the uh, parameters of the potential sale of the Seahawks, which will become a bigger storyline next year after a certain date goes by, and also uh, some shared history that Bob and I had. Uh, we, uh, we attended the same concert a very, 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 very long time ago when we were much, much younger. So I can't not bring that up. Bob Condota will join me on the show Wednesday. Stay tuned for that. Subscribe for the audio version on whichever podcast app you prefer. Um, and uh, subscribe on the YouTube channel, of course. Uh, really appreciate the support recently. Uh, we're growing every day and you're a big part of that. It's because of you that I can get guests like Bob Condota on the show. So hit subscribe so you don't ever miss any of that stuff. And also, if you're a fan of Locked on Seahawks with Corbin Smith, and as I've said before, if you're not, you should be. 
Stay tuned tomorrow. I'm going to join him on his show. We're going to talk about, I don't know, Seahawks football, I guess. Always good to visit with Corbin, whether it be on my show or his. Until then, click that subscribe icon at the bottom of the page. I'll talk to you soon. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.